Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello there. Welcome to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast live in person from a hotel room in Las Vegas. My name is Kellen Olson. I'm joined by Owen Sanborn, my roommate for the past five days. How's that been, Owen? How's it been living with Kellen Olson? It's been about nothing less than a dream, honestly. It's been, <laughs> it's been exactly what I've expected so far. Me sleeping a lot. Uh, not really the like last. Like We actually got good sleep the last like two days, but the first two days when we were in Caesars with a buddy, ooh, those were some... Those are some late nights. Uh, anyway, I'm just, I'm just happy to have a have my own bed. Oh yeah, this poor <laughs> this poor soul had to sleep on the floor the first two nights. It was not going too well for him. But we are going to run through summer league today. Of course, Owen and I have been here for the first five days of summer league. We're leaving in the morning. It is Tuesday night right now, so we're just going to run through uh, the Suns games, kind of what we thought, uh, what we expected, and then what we saw. Uh, People we liked, people we didn't like. I don't think it's anything really like that, but just our general impressions. And we're going to kind of run through the league a little bit because we saw a lot of basketball over the past five days. So let's start with the Suns. Um, they were one of the best teams we saw in Vegas. Would you agree with that? Just Absolutely. the general team? Yeah, I mean, it helps when you have three draft picks and other teams don't have any. But at the same time, they were one of the more cohesive units that we saw for sure. Mm-hmm. It was the energy we were at, me and Owen were both at the practices last week and Bjorkran and the players talked about like how high the energy was in practice and that's kind of like the BS you always hear with a lot of things and you weren't really sure if that was just BS or not, but it clearly carried over and uh, their bench was by far the most animated out of any team. So enthusiastic, uh, I mean, especially on defense. Everyone was talking and when someone would take a charge or there would be a steal, everyone mm-hmm. would leap up and cheer. It was yeah. cool. It was cool to see. Yeah, and it was like everyone. Like every time the bench was standing up, everyone was standing up. So everyone on that team bought into what they wanted to get out of it, and that was great to see. Um, and that comes from having players like Alan Williams and Tyler Eulis, who I think over the course of the three games were the two most impressive players. I would say, what would you get out of uh, the sauce man, Mr. Williams? What would you think? I mean, I didn't – this is my first time seeing him in person, so I didn't realize how – Big he is. The dude is a house, and he just every rebound that's there, he'll scoop it up. Especially if because Chris goes, Chris and Benner kind of go over the top because they're so long. And Chris is bouncy, but everything that hits the ground, Williams is there, or he'll be, uh, he'll be on the offensive glass. He shot fourteen of fifteen on free throws tonight. That was kind of crazy. I didn't know he had that in him, but yeah, that was a tight whistle that really benefited him. I believe there were sixty nine fouls in forty minutes. It also hurt him too. He fouled out. He also fouled out. He had Paul Coro was keeping track of his triple double, which was points, rebounds, and fouls. And he actually hit that. He picked up the 10th rebound with like a minute to go, and then with like 20 seconds left, he got the foul. But, yeah, that's a guy when you when I saw him in person last year at Summer League when he made all second team, I believe, Summer League, is uh, he's going to thrive at this kind of level where it's like a level down from the NBA where he's going to be able to bring his physicality a bit more just because the players are an inch or two smaller, a step or two slower, a little bit uh, – 
skinnier. Like a he was bit, just yeah. he's just hefty. He just could yeah. body people in the post. And he's not the tallest human, but at the same time he was bigger than everybody. And it was just cool to see his leadership really shine through. I thought he was one of the more vocal people on the Suns. He was sure. the most vocal like player besides my boy Briante Weber, I think, <laughs> out of everyone that we saw. Um yeah, he was great. I thought uh on post ups he was a little bit inconsistent. I feel like he's kind of always going that a couple of times he just needed to slow it down for a second and kind of take his time with the move, but that's just not his style. He just pounds it into you. But, man, he had he had so many offensive rebounds. There were so many points where you saw a miss go up, and you're like, oh, Allen Williams is probably going to grab this, and he did. Uh, and his leadership was clearly the effect that came through to all of the younger guys. And I, I would even argue that that kind of came through to Booker a little bit. Booker was really vocal and talking trash uh we didn't we didn't talk about booker at the start of course when it came to vocal leadership because he didn't play today uh, so that game is so fresh in our heads of course but let's talk about booker he had two games a lot of people were saying that he was the best player in summer league he's right about there i would say um i would say he was more consistent than someone like d'angelo russell uh chris dunn was just all over the place so i don't know if you could say that was he the best player we saw the best player we saw, especially in the way he did things, like he did, he was driving, he was dishing, he was shooting threes. D'Angelo oddly was kind of just posting up a lot, which I don't think is really going to translate well to how he's going to play on the Lakers. But Booker was, he was everywhere. He was vocal. He, I didn't realize he was such a big trash talker. That was cool mm-hmm. to see, especially like two rows up. He's just talking so much trash to everybody. But no, you just tell how much conf, how much confidence he has in himself and um, he's just growing right before our eyes, I think. Yeah, I think everyone learned that at that level, at least, if you're beneath him as a player and you say anything to him, he is going to be on you the rest of the way. I don't even know what Luis Montero said to him Saturday. Uh, when they played Portland Saturday, We were that was the 1 o'clock game, so the first game of the day, and we made sure to show up like an hour and 15 minutes early. So we were on the second row um, on the Portland's bench side, and we were right there, and we could hear what he was saying the entire time. He was just saying, like... Um, I think he said, like, what the F are you talking about? This is my game, baby, or something like that to Montero. And, like, I think Montero might have said just, like, one thing or maybe looked at him the wrong way because he doesn't really seem like that vocal of a guy. I didn't really see him talking no, at all. he's a quiet guy. Yeah, and Booker was relentless. He was all over him. And it wasn't it wasn't rumored trash talk because we had heard about it and knew it existed, but we just kind of heard, like, Jimmy Butler said, like, this kid's talking trash to me. Like, I'm impressed by that. And so we heard about it, and, like, as a rookie, he can't really do that. But in Summer League, being the second-year player – coming off all-rookie team, like, these are the guys you can talk trash to. Man, him and R.J. Hunter in the second game got mm-hmm. at it. And Hunter actually threw some threw some stuff back at him, to be um, He hit one three in fair. his face, I remember. Yeah, he hit a three in his face, but, like, Booker, I tweeted it, and, like, the, you could tell right away that Booker just didn't like him for whatever reason. Yeah. And then it was, like, one possession where Booker, like, denied him the lane, and then instead of, like, looking at where the ball went when Hunter passed, he just kept his eye contact right on Hunter. It was right in his face, and I was like, good God, man. Well, apologies to Hunter in advance, but he just looks like one of those guys that has, like, a punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> you know? He, like, he actually does a little bit. Like, I, I saw him after the game, and I kind of got that vibe, too. Like, by the way, after the game, Alan Williams did, like, dap him up, uh, which is oh, he seems like a nice, guy. nice to see. And yeah. seems, seems nice, but it was just, like... He is a little bit irritating with the way he plays, too, so I can see why that annoyed Booker, but it got to the point where they like got in each other's face, and my favorite moment of Summer League by far was when Boston had the ball on the end of the Suns' bench, and basically what happened was uh, something occurred where Boston got an open three and they hit it, and this was at one of those 100 points when the Suns' bench was sitting up. They hit the three. <laughs> 
RJ Hunter looked at the bench and just like gave a pushing down motion and and as if to say like sit down and like for five straight minutes the Suns bench didn't sit down <laughs> and they kept cheering and stuff and they got really really loud whenever Booker was like getting it to Hunter and it was it was awesome to see Booker had it was just Booker like that was that's the player we've seen but it was a little bit elevated we saw a little bit more power to him with his drives and that comes with uh, the added muscle that we've seen yeah he definitely of. looks like he's quicker and shiftier. And he's just bigger overall, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one of those things where he's only 19, he's going to keep growing as a player, and I, I was impressed to see him, he seems like he's growing as a person too, mm-hmm. so I, that's just as important in my opinion. One thing I'll say about that, just to criticize him a little bit, is that his first step still isn't lightning quick necessarily, he's not always going to be able to create off his first step, and there were a couple of possessions where R.J. Hunter, who's not a very good defender, was able to stay in front of him, uh, just in like a square up, like one-on-one, I'm about to take your lunch money type of deal, where he tried to like mess with him a little bit, and Hunter actually stood his ground a bit, and that's just not Booker's game, and you could see him kind of getting outside of himself a bit with his trash talk. That's nothing to be concerned about at all. No. But it was just like one of those like 90-second stretches where he was kind of trying a little bit too hard to show him up. Uh, but, I mean, that's his style, and that's an awesome style to have. And that's going to happen, too. I mean, yeah. you're not going to be able to blow by everybody at all times. but mm-hmm. He was really efficient, too. I don't think he, uh, in both those games, he put up a pretty good field goal mark. And it was just, he was getting to the line a lot more, which is what you like to see. There wasn't and, too many shots that were forced, either, which was cool to see. Because it's summer league. Mm-hmm. You're bound to force some shots up every now and then. But yeah. it, it could have been a lot worse. And he had uh, about three or four possessions where I was like, that's the best defense I've ever seen, Devin Booker. You were the yeah. one who told me. I believe it was a possession really early in Boston where he just battled through a ball screen, and then it was kind of like one of those double screens where he came back and Booker fought through both, stayed with him, and then forced to pass. It was like a nine-second sequence, and he turned to me and said, like, that's the best defense I've ever seen play, and I tweeted that out too, that I agreed. And it was just really encouraging to see him take that leadership role, but in a, like, I'm going to carry us and destroy these teams because I'm the best player on the court type thing, and that alpha dog type thing that is I really do think that element of his game the trash talk the alpha dog type thing is the reason it's not just because he's a talented young player that's the reason guys like Jimmy Butler Dwayne Wade Kobe are reaching out to him because they can tell that he has that element that made those three guys so successful and that's why when we talk about Booker's future that's why I talk about him so high and a lot of other people do it's just because of that in his game do you feel higher on him now that you've seen him in person a bit more yeah I just don't want people to go crazy I mean he's still going to be coming off the bench for the time being and He's still so young, so I hope too much smoke isn't blown up his butt mm-hmm. too early, and then it kind of fizzles out. But yeah. no, I mean, I was definitely, I was definitely impressed seeing him live and up close. Just everything he's got going on, and going back to his defense, I think it's one of those things that it turned out to be a contagious like throughout the team because Booker was trying hard. It all the tone was set by Eulis though. He was picking up ball handling full court and. Um, but it made Booker try harder because they're buddies, and then Williams is just shouting at everybody. So it was just one of those things, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was definitely impressed with Booker, to say the least. Speaking of Eulis, I think uh, over the course of the three games since Booker didn't play a third game, Owen and I can agree that Eulis was one of the most impressive. He was definitely the most impressive player on the Suns, and honestly, it would be somewhere in like my top three to five in terms of just players we saw this weekend. He was tremendous. Uh, that was a guy pre-draft months and months. I was just like, this guy is a top 10, 15 prospect in the draft. I don't care how big he is. He does everything, and I think he really showed... Stuff like his shooting and his defense. Like, he's not just, like, a floor general point guard. He can really defend guys, and he can shoot. Like, he had, when he had a second or two to really collect himself and and get his shot up, which he did somehow at five foot nine, 150, <laughs> he's able to find a way. It's, it just happens miraculously, and that's something where 
transitioning to an NBA defense, maybe that won't happen as often. But for now, uh, everything looked good. and He's smart with his shots, too. Mm-hmm. That's what was most impressive. Because he not, doesn't force anything, and he'll, he always looks to set other people up, but then he does that Chris Paul thing where he comes off the pick and roll, and he'll kind of do like a hesitation dribble and like see what the defense is doing and then if the shot's there he'll take it if not he'll pass it off to whoever's open and he just always looks like he's in control his passes are always fast too he never he takes his time sometimes but when he's hitting a guy it's like whoa like Mm -hmm. you didn't see who he was gonna pass to it wasn't an obvious pass he was making but then it's just there it was just he had a pass today where like Briante Weber who I mentioned earlier is an absolute hawk defensively (laughs) switched on to Allen Williams and Weber did this incredible job of like sticking his left hand out over Allen Williams' back and kind of defending the passing lane. And somehow Euless like either spin the ball or somehow got it past Weber into Williams for like a foul. That was amazing. And just his whole general game, there was nothing about his game that seemed wrong. He didn't really did he have any free throws like that came from contact in the lane? I don't think he did. And that's He had an and one. Oh yeah, he did have the and one today. But there were, that he actually was the shot only, free throws pretty poorly. But Yeah, that was the only play where he really got contact in the lane, and that was still from like 12 feet out in with Weber on him. And that's actually a good thing in my opinion because it shows how much he can control a game without getting to the free throw line and getting inside and creating contact. He just doesn't need to do that to be the player he is. No, he can he can still penetrate, and he works the baselines really well. That's I was really impressed with that aspect of his game too. He just knows where everyone is supposed to be, and like you said, sometimes he passes the ball to places that like the player he's passing it to doesn't even know that it, he's supposed to be there or that that's where he was going with it. But no, it's really impressive to see in person. I was most impressed with his defense. He uses his leverage so, so well, even when he got switched on to Jalen Brown in the Celtics game and Jalen tried to post him up. And as soon as Jalen tried to do a turnaround, he just swiped it like a cat mm-hmm. and he was off on the fast break. Everything he does, like you said, is so quick. And even um, when he's receiving the ball, he gets in the triple threat position already. And then he just goes no matter what. So he's either going to, and he, that helps you get by the first defender, like the first wave of defense, so quickly and gets you into the lane and get be able to do all sorts of things. So uh, that's really valuable to have. Me and you were laughing at the possession today when he got switched onto someone in the post who was like 6'10", 260, and he just denied the post entry for like 10 seconds somehow. Yeah. And he, he had literally 100 pounds probably of a disadvantage and at least like 10 to 11 inches in height. And it didn't matter. He denied the post entry. He's... He's going to be really fun to watch, and now with Ronnie Price reportedly going to another team, I think people are kind of overreacting to he'll play backup point guard, technically, but Bledsoe and I are going to stagger. He shouldn't play more than 20 minutes a game, Mulis. I don't even think, I think 15 might no, even be No, that's probably generous, much, but. but I think it is encouraging to see that they feel good enough about Mulis that they let Price go, because mm-hmm. you and I said that was almost a, it was just a done deal that Price was going to come back, but now I think the release of Price, or letting Price go to a different team, has more to do with Euless than Price, which mm-hmm. is cool. That's yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. Price got two years. Shout out to him. He's a guy, he was great last year, and people kind of gave me crap for saying that, but he was basically like a third t- point guard, end of the bench guy, and stepped up into a backup role, and even a starting role, and played pretty well. And that's a lot to get out of someone, a third guard who's on like the vet min type deal that he was on. So the two big guys, of course, the two top ten picks, Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, they were kind of all over the place. They were Bender looked really good in the first game without making much of an impact. Uh, made a bit of an impact, I'd say, actually, but played really well. Second game, 
he was okay, but he just didn't make an impact at all, and that's just the nature of his game. Third game, he had his worst game, despite hit finally getting a shot to go down. Um, what stood out to you, let's start positively, what what start, stood out to you positively? Because for both guys being as raw as they were, there were some negatives, but let's start positively with him. About both or just Bender? Bender for now, yeah. Okay, yeah, ben, I mean, Bender just looked like he kind of knew what he wanted to do all throughout on the floor, and but sometimes he, he also looked rushed. Like tonight, he... He would receive the ball and he jumbled it a few times, almost like trying to do what he wanted to do next before he even received the ball. And there was two or three times where he tried to give the ball to Ulyss, like force the ball to Ulyss so they could run the fast break and it got stolen, which you never see those kinds of turnovers. And again, that's just, you're going to get that from a young player. But I've been really encouraged by his defense, just the way he slides around the perimeter. He's uh, he's so damn long that when he gets in the paint, he can just stick his arms up and he's like, that's gonna be hard for an offense to get through and then um yeah so i've also been impressed with his shot when he releases it quickly and doesn't think about it it's pretty pure but sometimes when he hesitates it's gonna be a little off when he knows before he gets the ball that he's gonna shoot it like when the ball's coming to him in midair and he processes i'm shooting this exactly. he makes it yeah. or it's very close like it rimmed out but you could tell when he caught the ball and then he's delayed for half second and that's when it was a disaster that was first two games third game he was catch and shoot and but everything money. else was off. In the third. It was like yeah. the first two games, his shooting was off, but everything else was on. There was one point mm-hmm. where he grabbed a board and dribbled and like led the fast break, and mm-hmm. you and I got got pretty giddy. And yeah. He passed it off to the for an open three, I believe, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. But yeah, he did. Yeah, so those type of things are pretty encouraging. And then it's just going to take a while for him to kind of put it all together, I think. But that's what we all expected anyway, so it's not like we were surprised. Mm-hmm. I liked his defense a lot too. Sunday was the main event because we got to see him guard Jalen Brown. Suns are insistent that he's a small forward. I'm not sure a lot of us agree on the blogosphere right now, but time will tell tell with that, and I think a lot of it had to do with they just wanted to get Marquise, Chris, and Bender as much time as possible, and that had to come with someone playing the three and not the five. We thought we might see some five, but um, I'll get to that in a second. But when he guarded Brown, he wasn't necessarily locking him up, but he was staying with him the entire time, mm-hmm. and that's something where you have a Tyson Chandler and Alex Len that's fine because he's leading him into those guys. But when it's Alan Williams or Marquise Chris that you need to protect the rim when he like funnels them sort of into the rim protection, that's okay. Or it's not okay at all when it's those guys because Brown got to the line at will uh, when that was happening. But And Brown's not easy to stay in front of. He, he, oh, so fast. Yeah, he's awful at finishing, but he will get by the first wave of defenders pretty easily. So it's impressive that Bender even stuck yeah. with him at all. Shout out to Jalen Brown, by the way. Stay strong, buddy. Uh the whole case for him is draft stock for me, and I think for you too, is that he just, I don't think he's a first option. I don't think he's like the lead guy or even the second or maybe the third. Not yet. Not yet, at least, for sure. And then, what do you know, we come to Boston, he's the first option by far in Summer League, the one guy taking all the shots, and he had a rough couple of games. But, again, that's the type of player he is. He's not. He can do one thing really, really well offensively, get to the free throw line. Everything else is going to be developed, and... They asked him to do everything, it seemed yeah. like, and it didn't go well for him. But He's move, in a good place. Moving into the negatives with Bender, we talked about him playing the three and not the five, which uh, I thought he was more of a five than a three. But after seeing him try to protect the rim, clearly not a five at this point at all. Uh, it's something where, surprisingly, he was in the right position to protect the rim almost every time. But it was like me trying to like swat at a bug flying through the air. <laughs> like, he couldn't. It was a strange thing. He couldn't his locate. His timing was off. He couldn't. His jump was okay, but then he couldn't just locate the ball and swat at it. It felt like the ball was moving at a million hours whenever he tried to do it. And then 
a lot of the time he was going for the SWAT when he just needed to hold his hands up, and mm-hmm. it's something where he's clearly he played. He said he played a lot of three at uh, Maccabi, and that clearly shows because he hasn't spent any time playing the five. I think if he plays five at Maccabi instead of the three, we'd probably see more rim protection skills and less like perimeter skills that he showed, and that's something that comes with a year of development like that. And that's, that's a difference be- point for him. That's the difference between him and Porzingis, right? Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Porzingis can play the five, right? Should be playing the five right yeah. now, but Joakim, yeah. <laughs> get that seventy mil, Joakim. Yeah, like Porzingis came right in and he was doing the putback dunks and he was swatting shots away and getting boards. Where it seems like Bender has been kind of growing up, playing more on the outside, looking in, which is, I mean, that's just how he's going to have to be developed. So mm-hmm, definitely and. That's nothing, that's the big negative for him, but that's a very fixable thing. Uh, NBA cap strategist on Twitter, I'm not even sure what his handle is specifically, but was tweeting out a lot about uh, the Suns in particular, and he just said, kept saying, like, this is a fixable thing, he's in the right spot, he just needs to learn how to put his hands up, and that's, like, one of the easiest things to do. The hardest part is, like, the instincts and going in the right spot, and that was with him. Marquise Chris was fascinating because his highs were actually different highs than I expected, and his lows were actually a little bit different too we'll start with the highs again his motor was amazing mm-hmm. and that was not something that we saw in college at all talk about how much he was on the floor just he, he dove, he, it, oh, he dove he, over the scores table yeah he he followed up like i tweeted this he followed up like seven or eight dives on the floor like uh crash landings on the floor i was gonna get hurt i was afraid yeah, to diving over the scores table and this is not something that really showed up in college and for whatever reason like I think Alan Williams is a guy who had a lot to do with it. We didn't really get any quotes on that or anything, but it just seems like that's something that Alan Williams had a big impact on for them. Uh, and it showed with the way Chris played. We saw in uh, the motor really helped him get in the right spots, and we saw in the third game he started to get comfortable being in those spots, especially with his rebounding. He was jumping at the perfect time, catching it at the height of his mm-hmm. uh, height of his jump and coming down with it really strong, and that's where the potential for him to be like a 9 to 10 rebounding game type of guy show that I didn't think he had personally. Oh no, he's got. Yeah, cuz didn't he have one of the like worst rebound like He had one of the worst like defensive rebounding rates in the past like 15 years or something Jeez, among draft That's crazy cuz what we saw this week was nothing like that at all. He was skying over people getting rebounds, he was tenacious, he was boxing people out, he was playing really physical. I think Coro asked him about like whether or not football has helped him like translating to playing really physical on the floor and he said yeah so I mean I was really impressed with how how he scuffled it up in the paint and just like you said being in the right spots where people kind of said he was not a heady player and he wouldn't know what to do he'd space out which he still had those moments but he's still young and I was overall I was pretty happy to see how bouncy he was he just there was (laughs) there's multiple positions where he would jump up over someone for the offensive rebound not get it and then come back on defense and jump up and try and block a shot or at least deter a shot and it was just like, how do you have the energy to do that? He was he over was, and over and over again. He was everywhere all three games. Uh, the Portland game, I just thought it was them coming out hot and just like setting the tone early. The gentleman, him and Bender both. Yeah, exactly. But then last two games, he was still doing it. I hope this isn't like a Ben Simmons defense type thing. Simmons's defense has been on and off uh, the entire summer league, Utah and Las Vegas, where it's kind of like the first game, he was really, really good. And we were like, Oh my God, there it is. And then (laughs) the second game, he kind of floated out again and it was like, no, (laughs) please come back. And that's something where 
I guess Chris, I would just guess that Chris has been reading like these things saying he's a terrible rebounder and he must be thinking like, I'm not a terrible rebounder. And he's, he showed it. He had, I believe, 14, 15 boards yeah. in the second game. There's no reason he should be a terrible rebounder. Mm-hmm. He has all the tools to be a great one. And it's one of those things where when we're evaluating these guys before the draft, like I've been critical of Chris a lot. It's just, it's what we see. Yeah. And it, it, we just didn't see him be a good, re- he had terrible form. That Those rebounds in the Miami game where he was rising and grabbing it at the height of his jump, it was like, that's the guy right there. That's the guy that they drafted. That's like, whoa. The type, yep, that's the type of player they wanted. Offensively, uh, shooting the ball, he seemed to be more comfortable when he would take like a move or two. It seemed like on the catch and shoot, he wasn't as comfortable when he was able to either run into a shot and then get set or just take a dribble or two and then shoot. That's when he looked good. Um, and then my big negative with him was that when something seemed rehearsed, he seemed fine. He had that gorgeous spin move on Saturday. Uh, that was awesome, but then there were other moments where, like, falling for pump fakes, um, not pump faking when he should, a lot of instinctive things that he didn't do well at all, and that's exactly what we expected out of him, um, but that that's, come that's with, what we saw. That will come with more reps, though. Like you said, it's it's a fixable problem as long as he gets more playing time. I think his, after seeing him for a short period of time, I think the early comparison for him, to for him, for me, is... Um, like a Tristan Thompson type player, but with a jump shot. I think that's what he should kind of aim for. Just being a tenacious rebounder, being able to switch along the perimeter, be able to scuffle up in the paint, and uh, then be able to hit a, a, hopefully like a corner three at the very least as the years go on. He needs to get a little bit bigger to do that, but Thompson, when Thompson came to the league, he wasn't too uh, hefty either. So what do you think about that? I like that comparison a lot. It's it's one that I would have slapped you in the face for like three weeks ago, but <laughs> now that we've seen... Now that we've seen his motor and how hard he can work, and if that stays consistent throughout his career, we'll be more than fine with something like that. Uh, his shot was something where everyone was just so in on it for some reason, and I was like, he, t- he took 60 attempts in his freshman year, barely took any in high school, and it was one of those things where, yes, it's a, it's a decent-looking release, but I wanted to see more of it and wasn't sold on him just being a stretch four from the get-go. It's... And it's it's going to take a bit, but the potential is there. But everyone was saying, I know for a fact multiple people were saying his shot's ready right now. I'm not sure it is necessarily. The form is decent, but it doesn't look natural. It's not fluid. Like, there's kind of a little hitch to it, and it has to get to a certain slot for it to be on target. But, I mean, it looks good when it goes in. I think he had two jump shots tonight. So he just has to keep getting in the gym with it, and I think he will, just having talked to him for a little bit. I think the biggest thing after the third game, I wrote about the dynamic after the second game, but after seeing the third game, what I realized is that them playing together actually might not be that good of an idea after seeing the way Chris is energy-wise. And this is just in this format where they're like two of the most talented players on the team. So like for the next couple of seasons with the Suns, it's not an issue. But if they're both at the peak of their powers, like in their prime and stuff, they both seem... They don't fit together when one of them needs the ball. Bender barely touched the ball this week. He he didn't have any set plays for him in the post, which is understandable given what we saw briefly out of him trying to post up in like semi-transition and stuff. Chris had some stuff at the elbow kind of going, and they had some like designed pick and pops. And Bender came off screens every now and then, but it was one of those things where it seemed like only one of them they had time to run a play for, and they spent so much time together on the floor that didn't really seem to work that way. Um, it seems like they can only play together if it's four and five, not three yes, and four. Yeah, which and, we don't know. I mean, there's still so much time, and that seems really far away. But it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if 
Chris beat Bender out for the playing time despite Bender's ability defensively just because if Chris's motor stays like that and he gets better as a rebounder in, in the next couple of months, if he's just an energy big rebounder who can hit an open three, that's exactly what you went off the bench where Bender is much more versatile and offers you more. But That's why his upside's why, higher. Yeah, which is why his upside's higher. But why do you need that necessarily from like a 10 to 15 minute guy off the no. bench where Chris is like energy, yeah. rebounds, athleticism, shooting. And Bender, like, that's why Bender might take more time to develop, but he might ultimately end up being the better player because he has more skills already on hand right now. And another thing that's crazy to me is that everyone's going to act like we're taking so much into consideration from Summer League, but it's just you have to see them in person and you have to see how their skills work with other players to kind of understand from a, from watching them on tape scenario and, like, like Chris. I would argue that Chris has the higher floor than Bender after Correct. seeing them in the three games, which is lunacy to me before because I thought Chris could be out of the NBA in two years. If he keeps that energy up... Yeah, you were Drew's, tough on Chris. I was really tough on Chris, but if he if he keeps that energy up, he'll be in the league for at least a decade. Like If he can just be an energy rebounder with crazy athleticism that can shoot like even 32 to 36% from three, he'll be more than fine. And he's going to love playing with Eulis because Eulis mm-hmm. is going to get him in great spots to be able to hit him up with lobs. I mean, Bledsoe and Knight for that matter too, but... I think Eulis definitely was looking for him a lot and kind of coaching him through the floor, saying, "Hey, come on, Chris. Hey, come on, Keys. Let's go. Let's let's set this up." And he hit him on a couple lobs too, so they're gonna be fun to watch. Bender sure. Bender has the higher floor to me still, but I think there's an argument for it, which is interesting to me. He's just really his skills are just more unknown. Yeah, they're way more unknown, and they're like you put him at the three, kind of in a Nick Batum role, where it's just like he does everything for you, but. With far more versatility, of course, being seven foot one. He's almost too big. To yeah, on the three, like he just I, I wish look he natural was, there. I wish he was six eleven, six ten, six even six nine. Like yeah. I, if he was Chandler Parsons' height, I think we'd be having oh, a different man. conversation. If he was six ten and he was like he had thirty percent more like speed and balance, he would be amazing. Yeah, because it's not. I mean, not everyone's Kevin Durant, so mm-hmm. that's that's an anomaly, yeah. and that's basically what size he is right now, and yeah. it just looks kind of funky when he dribbles. So, overall impressions of the Suns, like the main five players that we just mentioned, are that Williams should pretty much get his guarantee, right? Yeah. He, he should definitely, he's a perfect third center. The energy that he brought, the clear effect <clears throat> that he had on the young guys, and then... He seems like that, a good guy to have around. In practice, that's exactly the type of guy you want to motivate the younger unit, even if he's going to be on the end of the bench. He's going to pull aside Bender and Chris when they make mistakes. Chandler will do that, Dudley will do that, but so will Allen Williams now, too. And he hasn't even been in the league that long. Eulis, I think it's I was comfortable with him playing backup point guard minutes whenever, and now it's just like I think everyone else is too. Mm-hmm. Not to be the hipster and say I stood at first, but <laughs> I guess that's kind of what I just did. But as it, hard as you were on Chris, you were as high on Eulis. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy almost as much as I love Malik Beasley who didn't play, which made me so sad. Except his bench celebrations were kind of awesome. They were yeah. great. They were awesome. Uh, Bender and Chris, I think we just learned far more about their games because there's only so much you can get from um, from watching them on tape. And then it was also like how much they changed, like Chris's motor. We talked about seven times already, but that clearly is something that's new to his game. And Bender um, might change, like the outlook on Bender might change because they were playing him out of position. And mm-hmm. even though he said he played mostly three overseas, but he's a four. I'm even more excited now to see. Bender come off the bench this season than I was prior to summer league because we'll see him at the four finally. He's a four. He's a four. <laughs> he's he's like he. I'm not. I think he has more versatility because I think he can actually play the three in some stretches. 
Chris at the five is something that's going to take a while. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even see him at the three, by the way. That was something that they've been mentioning a lot. No, he's the not. Three. No. We did not see it at all. Thank so God. maybe that's something that. I think like, they know Bender's not a three either. I think they just yeah. want to see for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be. Uh, Something to say the least. <laughs> and it makes sense in Summer League where you want to get everyone, like all your young guys, as many minutes as yeah. they can. And then Booker, I mean, clearly still the future of the franchise, did nothing really to prove wrong that he's like the number one going forward. I just hope he, I don't know, not that he won't stay hungry because he seems like a dude that's always in the gym, but I just hope it doesn't like hit him too fast. You yeah. know? Like it seems like he's starting to become a cult, like, like there's a lot of people that are love him. Like all throughout the week, there's a lot of people following him. And he's gonna be he's he's the fan favorite of the team in his rookie season, and he's probably gonna be the fan favorite until he leaves. Yeah, like that's unless Bender or Chris just turns into a monster and Booker kind of regresses. Like I don't see any chance of that happening. But he doesn't even start yet. That's huh? what he hasn't even started. Oh yet. yeah, exactly. I mean he started, but yeah. I'm saying he's not going to be the starter. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna be the starter either. Uh, that's something else that we shouldn't talk about. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you had that on your Twitter feed. Scroll through Owen's Twitter feed for the past five days if you want to find out what we just referenced, but I just don't really want to talk about it on a podcast. Uh, anyway, let's just talk briefly about, since we've spent so much time watching basketball that wasn't the Suns, let's talk a bit about guys who stood out. It's really difficult going to these games and trying to plan out your schedule, especially for for me. Owen had to write the recaps, so he was able to like post those right after the game. Um, go and get audio when you need to, but then come back and watch the games. I actually go, had to go back to the media room, write stuff, and post it. So I was missing like a lot of games due to that. But the structure also is like there are four games in one gym at like one o'clock, three, five, seven, and then there's another uh, gym where they're at one thirty, three thirty, five, thirty, seven, thirty. So you have to make decisions, and then sometimes like oh the Suns, we want to get good seats there. We did that yesterday or uh, Sunday. No wait, we did that. Today. We had good seats to every Suns game. We did. Uh, and by the way, uh, Owen, your recommendations for summer league go. Not go because I talk about it all the time. And how you better go. go. Yeah, go. Yeah. It's totally worth it. Even at the first three days, I had to buy like journal mission tickets, and it was ended up being thirty bucks per, or thirty ish with all the stupid fees. But it was well worth it because you can just go back and forth between arenas. There's so many people just walking around. It's great networking if you want to yeah. talk to people. And, and we yeah. were we were just sitting yesterday. We were just <clears> sitting in the seat, and it was like, oh, Mike Miller sitting in front of us. It's like, oh, Terry Rozier sitting in front of us for like, like four hours. Yeah, and I'm not really the type of person to just nudge them and like bother them when they're doing their thing. But I wish I was. I, you wish I wish <laughs> I was too. And there were some people that were, and I could tell like the, how they didn't really like that. And in the past, I've seen that as well. So that's the problem. Kind of, you see them, and then you see mm-hmm. how like people interact with them, and then you're like, oh, they must be pretty annoyed. So then you, yeah. you miss your chance. Yeah, <laughs> but we saw a lot of basketball, so we'll talk about a couple of people that stood out to us. Uh, Chris Dunn is a guy I've had a love affair since last draft. Dude's a freak. Uh, since pre-last draft. And Sam Vecini kind of tweeted out that the careful thing you have to do with Summer League is look out for the players whose games are benefited by the chaos that is Summer League, like the really bad offense, the turnovers, the pace, the lack of just team play, and then also like the team defense is how easy it is. Like Ben Simmons, like you said, we were walking out of the arena and we were talking about like, should we go see the last quarter and a half of Ben Simmons? And it's like, no, because what he does is he gets the switch on on the big, dribbles it out like LeBron does, takes three monster steps at him. You can't and then, that. And then passes to the wide open corner three guy or wide open big or whatever. He always finds them and it's kind of boring at, at times. But like Dunn is a guy who, man, he's just really good. Like it's, his handle is something that I thought people weren't taking his like, they were taking his athleticism, but his handle is so nice. Slick. And there was one where in uh, Thomas and Mac, which is the bigger arena, 
where he double crossed Jakar Sampson, dropped him, and then uh, he sent I, him. I think he sent he him flying into like he was near the three point line. He sent him flying into the paint. Yeah, That's he went. He, he went him. flying, and it was he just looked so comfortable. But we also saw his inconsistencies, which is like he had a bunch of turnovers. He took a lot of bad shots, did some dumb fouls, but. What were your thoughts on Dunn after like not really seeing too much of him? He's gonna fit right in with Tibbs. I was he was so angry all the time. He, like he would miss a shot, he'd clap really loud or hit the stanchion, and he was yelling. When he would make a shot, he was really fired up. It was kind of like Westbrook in that way. And I mean that's the easy comparison just because of the athleticism. But you said something interesting where you said like he's Westbrook's athleticism but more fluid, like smoother. Mm-hmm. Westbrook's just so explosive all the time, but he seemed more controlled and smoother with his motions. He glides like a like a that's what like you a gazelle. Glides. Like he just, I don't even know what a gazelle is. Like, like a bird. He just, he's just gliding the entire time, and it's he's so fast and powerful, but he looks so in control because of the speed he has. He has this awesome signature baseline jumper where he'll just like hit top speed for like point seven five seconds, plant his left foot, step it back, land on his like left and right foot in like a jump stop, step back fadeaway. And this like 18 foot baseline jumper that's literally unguardable, and he hit it twice. He's hit it a ton at Providence, and it's gonna be uh, me and Gibby were talking about this on Twitter. Playing him with Rubio, I'm not sure if that's what they're gonna do right away, but we're probably gonna see it. And that's something where the defense is gonna be awesome, but the offense that there's massive shooting concerns. Yeah, spacing. How much do you take that balance for granted? And also, how much do you say, well, if we just got rid of one of them, we wouldn't have the massive problems with spacing because only one of them wouldn't be that good. One of them's getting traded. And I think it's obvious that one of them's getting traded. And after seeing this this summer, I don't think it's going to be done with the way he played. I don't think he has that like tenth gear athleticism that or explosiveness that Westbrook has, but he's mm-hmm. about eighty percent there. Yeah, and he, he is. He has the same, like you said, he kind of just ho- like he does this crossover and he'll just kind of hover explosively into the lane and lay it in before you even know what happened. And like few people in the league have that, especially I mean Rubio doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Anyone else stand out to you? Really? Um, I'm trying to think right now because we've we've seen so much basketball. We saw. I thought Gary Harris played pretty well in the one game he played. Oh, yeah. Him and Moody looked yeah. really good. Uh, Jamal those... Murray, we saw Jamal Murray's uh, big scoring outburst. That was kind of interesting to see. His flow game was pretty, it was on point. And uh, his shooting, his shooting, I don't know, he doesn't have the look of a knockdown shooter to mm-hmm. me. Like, it's kind of, his release no. is kind of inconsistent. But people were saying, uh, he shot well in college, I know, but. A lot of people I follow were down on him in the pre-draft process, and I remained high on him, and now I feel like that was a mistake after seeing him in person. I just thought yeah. that he was going to be a knockdown shooter, and a lot of his shots were contested and less catch and shoot, which I think is going to change in Denver a bit, but will it actually? Because that was the backcourt. That was <laughs> Moutier and Harris. That's who he was playing with. He so. looks more six-man-ish than mm-hmm. starting two-guard. Yeah, I thought he was... Which good isn't t- bad. I thought he was starting two-guard, and I, I I think I'm wrong already, which is something I do way too much is make uh, generalizations like that over three games of Summer League, but... I mean, it's cool. It's just, it's so, di- like you said, so different seeing these people in person. Mm-hmm. And that, you can just learn a lot. It really helped. I just saw the way he shot it in person. I was like, oh, God, I thought you were going to be like 40% from three guy, and I don't think you are. No, it looks like he's yeah. get-hot guy, mm-hmm. and he'll make three or four in a row. And charge everyone up. Jake Lehman looked good on the Blazers. I was kind of impressed Ooh, with him. Jake Lehman looked good. Pat Connaughton didn't look that good in the third game we saw, but in the first two games he looked really good. And I mentioned in warm-ups, I was like, he's got to be pissed that they matched on Crab because yeah. he was he was looking to get some minutes, and I think he looked capable of those minutes. Vonley looked good. He's a guy I've always liked. I see. I don't um, think so. 
You know, you don't I'm, like him. What, do, what don't you like about him? I'm, Too small? No, he, I actually thought he was gigantic. When, yeah. I, he was bigger than I thought he was going to look. But his post game isn't where I thought it would be right now. Three years in, that's or true. Going on his third yeah. year, he made a couple threes, which is encouraging. But I don't, he doesn't look smooth in the post. Like he should be with how long his arms are. He should be able to just hook over both shoulders, mm-hmm. especially against summer league bigs. Yeah, which he didn't like. He couldn't. You couldn't just throw the ball in the lane to him and say, "All right, go get me two points, Noah." Which I thought that was how he was going to be. So maybe my expectations. Were I think high. his role in the NBA is somewhere like where like a 10 to 20 guys picked and I always forget that he was like a top 10 pick he was a very high selection who like rose late in the draft process and stayed out there throughout the season he has the same Um, body type as Serge Ibaka so if he could be that player I mean kudos to him but I didn't see that I have just been pissed off that the Warriors got Patrick McCall and Robert Carter it just pisses me off that the best team in the league and the super team now somehow got Pat McCall Uh, I saw three minutes of him and that was it (laughs) But that's all we from, needed to see. That's all we needed to see. He looked awesome, and then everyone else has been saying on Twitter how good he's looked. We just that. stormed out in like anger. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go back like three days, uh, like a couple days later here, and watch the film on him and see how he looked. But from everything everyone said, he looked good. And I was like saying, and uh, on Twitter when Durant signed, I was like, they have like three rookies who are projected to be guys who are ready to play sooner rather than later. And I think everyone is now realizing the the hype around McCall. I thought he was a for sure first rounder. Somehow fell to the second round. The, Bla- the the Warriors passed on him and then got him again at 36. So dumb. It's so annoying. And then Robert Carter uh, Jr. was undrafted guy, one of the best undrafted guys they have a need for like a new Mo Spates. Robert yeah, Carter is, most, does, is more than Mo Spates, yeah. for sure. Um, he just does all these like different things around the court. And he, can, he had a couple of post-ups I saw that were like nice and efficient. Um, another guy I just had in my head. Oh, what do you think of Ingram? Ingram looked good, but it was it's going to be the same battle that it is going to be for D'Angelo Russell too. Is just getting the ball. I'm not sure he didn't. He averaged like nine or ten points a game, I think, in the three games, and it's just that's going to be a thing is him getting the ball. But he didn't. He looked better with the ball than spotting up, which he was didn't, interesting. Yeah, and he didn't pop either. He didn't necessarily. He had a couple of nice moves in the beginning, but that was one on one against really bad defenders. Like I think that game was against New Orleans or something. <laughs> yeah. And New Orleans had one of the worst teams there. We feel so bad for Buddy. Poor Yield. Buddy. Like I, I am one of the lowest people on Buddy, and I am not ready to say that like I was right or anything even close to that, uh, especially after summer league. But. Even then, it was just like he had no one on that team, like no shots, of course. Like Larry Dupre played pretty well, but like Czech Diallo was their second best player, and like Czech Diallo, like showed me the second best player on that <laughs> no. team. And I love Diallo, but that's the truth. Uh, I was impressed with Buddy's handle. Buddy's handle looked good, and his defense actually looked pretty yeah. good. Maybe that's, again, that's the step or two slower type of thing, I think, but it, it looked like it could be something, which is all it needs to be. It needs to be like, I've said it from the get go, if he is the. 40% three-point shooter that he is, and like the score, all he needs to be is below average on defense, and he's worth that pick 10 times out of 10. Yeah, it looked like he knew what he was doing, too, which is encouraging for New Orleans. Yeah. Wade Baldwin is a guy that I was Love notoriously, him. like, it, it's weird because there were so many guys that I was like, yes, he's a top 10 pick that a lot of people agreed with me on, but the one guy that I wasn't sure on that everyone else was was Wade Baldwin in terms of being higher on him than most. Looked great. He looked really good. Yes. I, I had major doubts about his point guard ability, but I think that... Now, when we started talking about like players fitting together with him, who do you want to play with him and stuff, I kind of realized that the only knock on him is like his scoring in the paint, and that's a pretty small complaint with the way he was passing the ball. He was definitely. It seemed like the Grizzlies coaching staff was kind of pushing him to be a facilitator because he wasn't looking for a shot all that much. And then 
in, I don't know if remember it was the third or fourth quarter of the last game we saw him. He kind of just said, all right, I'm going to start scoring. And he, he had a nice dunk on somebody. He made a couple jumpers. He, he isn't the best finisher right now, but, I mean, he's good at penetrating. His handle's better than I thought, so... He played angry, too. Yeah, these are pissed. With a quiet anger, which I love. Mm -hmm. And he just seems like a good dude, and I think he's in a great spot for him. I'm really glad we saw we saw most of New Orleans, Sacramento. Uh, Scal looked really good. He did. Thought he was a top 15 pick for sure in this draft, and he slid all the way to 28, which is a a great pick for Sacramento. Uh, Papa Giannis, man. Looked like Scout looked a lot better than Papianis. Papianis, oh man, I, I saw he was a guy who lo- rose really late, so he was only unlike a guy like Bender who I've been watching for years. I watched like three weeks of Papianis, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was really confused at like as a bas. Look, I get it as a second round flyer. He's seven two. He actually kind of moves okay. But he clearly has to cut a little bit of weight. He wasn't even he wasn't even overweight. He was just like he needs to get in basketball shape. But Sacramento's lineups were trash. Yeah, and then they they ran elbows. They ran elbow sets with Willie Colley Stein and Scow, which is cool. But when you're doing Papianis, who's seven two and a, and a massive man, that's not going to work. But what I was saying is that like as a top as a lottery pick, like he's seven foot two, moves okay. But that's it. I didn't see any basketball skill out of him at all. Like, But, again, they were kind of misusing him a bit, so we'll wait and see. But for now, Scal looked really good. He shot confidently with his jumper, which, again... Gets really high on his if jumper. He, he jumps if he, really high. If he works hard, continues to improve defensively, and can shoot his threes, kind of like what we're seeing out of like Chris, he's going to have a role in the league for like a decade, especially in the future of where the NBA is going. And then... Malachi Richardson looked okay. Yeah, he didn't really have any memorable moments. Um, he, he didn't really have any memorable moments. Shot selection actually wasn't a problem for him, which it was a lot at Syracuse. And he took uh, his his shot looked good, which is what I liked because he he had this uh, on the wing. He had like two wide open threes. He barely missed the first one, then took the second one right away and airballed it. And it was like, oh, poor poor Malachi. <laughs> but the form looked. Good. But the form looked good, and that's not the entire. St- process of course he has to make the shots but it it looked like he could make the shots and Sacramento has a little bit going there just maybe a little bit with Willie and uh I mean if Boogie stays you've got Willie and you've got Scal and you've got um who am I blanking on Malachi and then Papianis too (laughs) and then Papianis too but again like what are they doing like no it's just a bad situation I feel bad center man like I feel bad for Papianis because he's a guy who's seven foot two and nimble but how is he going to develop in that situation? I have no idea. Like, if I was Boogie, I would hate him. Yeah. So, like, Boogie probably hates him. Like, yeah. there was that awkward vine that showed, like, Boogie and him, like, dapping, and Boogie was kind of like, uh, whatever. <laughs> and the, it sucks because these dudes that could be good get put in these bad situations and mm-hmm. then just never get it back. Like, I hope that doesn't happen. I like Malachi a lot, and I hope that doesn't happen to him. And he just gets shoveled into being this gunner eighth man mm. like Ben McLemore. <laughs> like, let's, look what happened to him. Let's end on Milwaukee because we saw like two and a half games and they were just one of those schedule things where it worked out. We saw a lot of them. Thon looked like the pl- the right mix of what a top 20 pick looks like. He His motor is outstanding. There's no question about his motor. He has very good instincts on rim runs and rebounding. It's freaking huge. And he's a large man and moves well. But outside of that, the perimeter game looked really far away. His instincts on the floor, like with the ball and with um, anything outside of what I just mentioned earlier, was kind of far away. And that's like the type of 20 to 35 type of selection in a draft. But they took him at 10. 
and they clearly think that like his perimeter skills are going to come with time. I'm not too sure. The shot didn't look that good. The set um, shot wasn't terrible. Okay. He just kind of, he has to have it, he has to be ready to go with it and have time to shoot it. But he just looks like he's trying to do too much or he thinks he's better than he is, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world because maybe he'll play better than... All that mixtape hype didn't help. No, he's not a guard. He's not a 7-1 guard. He's no. a energy forward that's really long and can wreak havoc on defense. I just hope he figures out that role. And I don't blame Milwaukee for taking more because a lot of people didn't like where they took him, but it seems like just the way they draft, they shoot for the stars. They know they play in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They're not going to get many free agents other than Greg Monroe, and that hasn't really worked out anyways. But, it, like, with Giannis, they just took the long, freakish dude and see what they can make him into. And it seems like they did a similar thing with Thon. And I was actually more impressed with how he played seeing him in person than I thought I was going to be. But, mm-hmm. like you said, he's his, he's kind of, like, quirky on offense. And he's he's not – if the shot wasn't knocked out – Skittish a little bit. Skittish, yeah. And, and he it's I got the impression he thinks he's better than he is. And maybe it's all the mixtape hype. But, um, yeah, I don't know. How, you seem not as high on him. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon is, I think, a guy that I was a little bit skeptical on. I was like, is this guy better than a ninth man? Yeah. And I think he can be after what we saw. They he, my he, point. he ran the point, and he didn't do like what D'Angelo Russell or Ben Simmons or Tyler Eulis, like setting up their, like making the open shot for their teammate, but he was playmaking in that, like whirling around with the ball and like maneuvering through ball screens and stuff and getting in the paint. And he's a scorer. He put up, I think, yeah. like 20-plus points per game at Virginia in his last year. And then, of course, his defense is the reason he's getting drafted in the first place. I think he's a guy that could uh, – Rashad Vaughn didn't really do that much to me to stand no, out. No, I didn't know. His and, ball rotation is weird. Yeah, he's a guy who needs to be a good shooter, and I don't think he's a good shooter. He doesn't look like a good no, shooter. No, he doesn't. No. I think Brogdon could overtake him for minutes pretty quickly yeah. and could make a big impact. Some guy – that could be like a, a sneaky type of – like. Nikola Mirotic type in his rookie year where he's playing um, decent minutes on a decent team. That's a perfect dude to put next to Point Giannis. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect dude. Um, ben Simmons' thoughts before we go. He's They're playing him just like LeBron, which is fun. And like you said before, it's it's cool that they just get the big to switch on him because that's naturally what's going to happen since Simmons is so big. And he just takes two dribbles, blows by him, and opens up a either a lay-in for himself or a wide-open three for a teammate, which is that's a great offense. It's kind of repetitive and boring to watch at times, but his passing is mesmerizing when it's on. And he, I didn't think his jumper looked as broken mm-hmm. as the rumor had it. No, it's not the form. It's just the mentality, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Mike Schmitz, one of the smartest NBA followers you can make drafts, especially – Tweeted out after the first game, like, everyone was freaking out at all these vines of the passes he was making in Utah, and he was like, why is everyone freaking out? We, we knew that he was this unreal playmaker-type guy who can set up his teammates like crazy. What we need to see is this, this, and this. And we actually saw a little bit of this, this, and this. And He did a nice elbow jumper. He's the one guy where I, like, noted him in my head for later, and it's like, I need to see him in an NBA setting with NBA defense. And if he makes those passes consistently like he did in Summer League and the NBA then I'm in on the hype for sure, but I just need to see it there. But the jumper was interesting because what happened was we saw him in his second game, I believe. It wasn't against the Lakers. It was against someone else. But he had two drives, really confident drives, grabbed the ball, went at him, finished at the rim really easily, and then he hit two straight jumpers Mm -hmm. after that, which he took with confidence. He was in rhythm, and it's like just play with that confidence, and that jumper is going to go in, and then it can extend out. But otherwise, when he wasn't shooting it with confidence, it didn't look good. 
I don't. I mean, it's gonna be tough to juggle him with the other bigs they have. Yeah, it's like something's got to give there because he. Is there hasn't a been a trade yet. Somehow he's it, a four too. It feels. Yep, he's a four that should four run one. the point. I love T.J. McConnell to death, and I'm way really biased towards him. One of the few guys I'm biased towards, but he actually is like the right type of point guard you want to put with him. Yeah. You wish he could shoot, yeah. and he can't, but he'll defend point guards for you really, really well. Jared uh, Bayless. And play off the ball. Jared Bayless will be good. Yeah, Jared Bayless might not be too bad for him, but uh, that'll wrap it up here from the wait, Vegas wait. hotel room. Oh, no, it won't. I, I just want to give a quick shout to Damian Lee. Oh, uh, Damian Lee, our guy, <laughs> of course. How did we not touch on him? Uh, Damian Lee out of Louisville is the guy who really stood out to Owen in uh, pre-draft workouts. Just Love that guy. Worked his tail off. Uh, does a lot of bench two-guard stuff, and it just didn't make sense to me that he didn't get drafted. And then Miami didn't play him in the first two games at all, and in Orlando at all. And we were like, what is wrong? <laughs> and then we saw him in the third game, or the, his second game, His second actually. game, yeah. His second game, and he actually got some run. He got going. He was jawing with Jamal Murray a bit, and Jamal Murray kind of got the better end of that once they were jawing each other. But I think he had like 17 points or something yeah, in that game. Yeah, I think he went four threes. Played good defense, really good rhythm shooter. Like his hair is like very Gerald Green, but he just he, everything about him looks very Gerald. Green. He is very Gerald Green in the sense that he's not really a heat check type guy necessarily. He kind of is. He's not really a bad shot taker, mm-hmm. but when he's in rhythm and feeling himself, he's like a 45% three-point shooter yeah. in that type of tone. And he had more Gerald he, like he didn't have the ups of Gerald Green, but I think his defensive mentality is a little bit stronger. Yeah. Miami is like Utah, where they've labeled, they're so good at getting like these end-of-the-bench guys. Like They had Willie Reed a bit ago, uh-huh. and he's gone to Brooklyn now. and gotten, Or no, he's back with Miami, actually, but he was originally with Miami. Went to Brooklyn, played pretty well there, kind of didn't work out there, and now he's back in Miami. Uh, Briante Weber is another guy who really stood out to us. He was one of the best players there, Briante Weber. He's Lock, just fun. He's fun to watch. Lockdown defender, has the speed and handle to get by point guards and the passing to set up for his teammates. I think he's going to be a really good get and someone who's going to stand out, unfortunately, they matched on Tyler Johnson. Uh, for me, as a Briante Weber fan, that kind of makes me sad because I thought we were going to see a bit more of him if he uh, went to Brooklyn. It's just crazy that all these teams, like all these good teams, get the players that should get drafted. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like you mentioned Golden State before, yeah. and now Miami. It's just like, how do these organizations? Like, you understand why they're yeah. so good because they get all these players that yeah. should be drafted, and they just somehow slip through the cracks because the freaking Kings are taking Papa Giannis at thirteen. <laughs> Oh, Papa John's, our guy. Uh, yeah, so Damian Lee's just a guy to keep an eye on in terms of like undrafted uh, free agent type thing after this. He's probably not going to re-up with, uh, I don't think he'll re-up with Miami. No, that's probably not have too, for him. They have too many guards. but Just root for him. He's a good dude. He's a D-league guy to keep an eye on and a bench guy. I really like him as a potential two-guard off the bench. But uh, yeah, that'll wrap it up. We have seen a lot of basketball and stuff. We are going to go sleep for a long time, drive back to uh, Phoenix and resume with our normal lives. But it's been a really fun couple of days here. Want to give a shout out to uh, the actual fair bit of people who came up to Owen and I and said hello and said they listened to the this podcast and the other podcast I have, Empire of the Suns. I really do appreciate the support and seeing some of you guys in person. Thanks for listening as always. And again, uh, the whole iTunes thing, it's coming. We need to figure out this stupid freaking picture thing that won't stop making me angry every time I think about it, as you can tell in my voice. Uh, but this is me and Owen signing off from Vegas. We will see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.